Story. Every one of us has a story of, of where God met us and where we are in that journey with God. Maybe some of us are on the mountaintop. Maybe some of us are in the valley. And a lot of us are kind of in between, trying to figure out, how do I live my faith every day? What does that look like? How does that become real to me? That's why we, we gather in corporate worship, so that we can hear the Word of God. We don't gather to hear a particular pastor. We gather to hear God's Word. And it says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the Word of God that equips us to go to school, to go to work, to interact with our neighbors and with our kids and to deal with everything that is happening in the world. So when we gather, we gather to hear from God, the Holy Spirit. So will you pray with me that God's Spirit would just open our hearts and our ears to His truth. Let's pray together. Father God, You are holy, You are loving, and You are faithful. And Lord, we ask that Your Spirit would be here in this place on this day, Lord, to speak into our hearts. Father, You know each and every one of us. Your Word tells us that You've numbered the hairs on our head. You know us better than we know ourselves. So Father, You know those of us that are struggling, dealing with stress or anxiety or loss or pressure. Lord, You know it. Lord, you know those of us that are struggling and wrestling with doubt and fear and sin. Father, I pray that your word would be an encouragement to us today, that it would open our hearts to understand how much you love us, that you're not only with us, you are for us. So, Father, I pray that the words that I speak, Lord, would be your word. They'd be glorifying to you that your spirit, despite the sinful, broken vessel that I am, that, Lord, your words would be spoken. Father, we love you, and we know that this is another page in our story, another step in our journey today. Father, will you teach us? Will you guide us? We ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Trying to find the center here, so you'll bear with me. I try to find all this. Um, so I remember, and maybe some of you remember this. I remember going to the mall as a kid. That was kind of the big place that you'd go. You'd go to the mall, and they had these uh, different stores. And some of them, they had these pictures, but it wasn't really a picture. You had to kind of really look at it, and people would say, "Oh, do you see the ship?" Oh, do you see the puppy? And I would literally be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just see blurry lines. You really had to kind of look. And some people saw it right away. And some people like me, I could never see it. So I thought we'd do that a little bit today. Let's see which of us can see these things and which can't. So we've got a few pictures up here. So let's take a look. Now, what, what do you see up there? Clothes in a closet. But look a little closer. Do you see a face? There's a face like up in the upper red. Now that no one will go in their closet tonight, but there's, there's, a, there's a face, but you have, to, you have to look. All right, let's go to the next one. Okay, now what does that look like? That's levitation, Holmes. It looks like, right, it looks like the boat is, is what? It's a flying boat. It's like the Jetsons, but that's just how cool the water is. I think that's a lake here in town, so that's awesome. So we'll go to the next one. Wow! 
that is a huge bird or a very small man. Like when you look at that, you think, oh no, we're being attacked by birds. But it's just the angle of it that the man is down below and the bird is right in front of you. Let's go to the next one. Oh no, genetics gone crazy. It's a two-headed dog, or is it? Just the way that the other dog is angled, but doesn't it look like a two-headed dog? All right, let's go to this last one. Oh, oh. That looks like somebody who didn't have coffee in the morning right there. But that's the dog looking up and then the person looking down. Do we have another one or is that the last one? We got one more. Okay. So is this man dangling his baby over the edge? No. That's a, it's a mini train set. It, but doesn't it look like he's dangling the child over the edge? It's a mini train set. Now, all of those... In order to look at them, you really had to focus, right? That by first glance, you maybe thought it was one thing, but it wasn't until you said, I really need to focus on this in order to truly see the big picture. Well, that's where Nehemiah found himself. That's where the people of God found themselves. They really had to focus if they were going to live big faith and no fear. See, if we're going to see the big picture of big faith, no fear, it's going to take focusing. And sometimes it takes a little longer to see things. And see, we're always trying to, to make sure that we see God's big picture. So we're going to take a look here uh, at Nehemiah. Again, we continue to go through Nehemiah as he lives out big faith, no fear. And we're going to take a look at chapter 6. So if you want to open up your Bibles to chapter 6, we're going to kind of read in sections and then take a break and talk about them. So let me begin in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this. When the, word, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up, though up at that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. So let's, let's stop there for a second. So what is happening here is that God is doing this awesome thing, right? This little band of believers had kind of found their way back, and they're rebuilding the wall, they're rebuilding the gate, and things are going well, and the devil doesn't like when God is making kingdom progress. And so the devil's going to try to destroy anything that God tries to build. Now, the devil is using these three men, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, to try to do it. But it's really the devil. And what the devil does is he tries to distract us. See, that's one of the things that if you're doing a kingdom work, if you're doing what God calls you to do in your life, the devil is going to try and distract you from your purpose. And that's what we see here. So these three men, they sent four letters, four invitations. They said, hey, why don't you come on down and, and let's talk about things. They were trying to appeal to his ego. They thought if we can get Nehemiah to get caught up in, wow, these guys want to meet with me. I must be pretty important. I have to take a meeting, right? Because everybody feels important when you take a meeting. And so they were trying to make Nehemiah feel so important, like, hey, come and take a meeting and, and we'll talk about these things. But Nehemiah is like, wait a minute. I don't need to take a meeting because I have a kingdom purpose. I have a kingdom focus. And he did not want to be distracted. 
So every time they came back, once, twice, three, four times, he sent them the same message. I'm not going to leave what I'm doing for God because I need to meet with you. He had a kingdom purpose. See, if we don't have a kingdom purpose in our life, we're going to wander. We're going to get distracted. We're going to take meetings that we don't need to take. We're going to spend our time in areas that we don't need to spend time. See, if we're going to live out big faith, no fear, we have to have focus. And that focus has to be on God. That focus has to be on God's kingdom purpose. But see, we become distracted all the time. We become totally distracted. Did you ever see that movie Up? Do you remember the movie Up? I love that movie. It's a great movie, right? And then there's the dog. Do you remember the dog in the movie? And he's got the collar on. And like all of a sudden he'll be in the middle of something and he'll turn and go, bird? Like he gets distracted like that. That's us. We get distracted so quickly. But when we stay focused on God, amazing things. And I mean amazing things happen. Think about a story in the Gospels. Remember, Jesus just got the news that John the Baptist was beheaded. That John the Baptist died. So he kind of withdrew. He had to really reflect on, on this happening. And as he withdraws and he goes to the other side of the lake, all of a sudden crowds of people come and they start bringing people to Jesus that are ill. He starts healing people. Well, it becomes later in the day. And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, we got to get out of here. These people are hungry and we don't have any food to feed them. And Jesus says, we're going to take care of this. So they get five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus feeds like well over 5,000 people. It was probably closer to 15,000 people. Amazing. He tells the disciples, you guys get in the boat, go on the lake, I'll see you on the other side. So this is happening now, it's like the middle of the night, and the disciples are in the boat, and it's dark and it's foggy, and they see this figure walking towards them, and it's Jesus. And they're scared at first, they're filled with fear, but Jesus is like, guys, it's me, it's okay. So Peter wants to live out big faith, no fear. And he says, Lord, tell me to come, and I'll come. And Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter is focused on Jesus. And man, he is walking on water. I mean, he's doing it. He's focused on Christ, and he's walking on water. Amazing. And then what happens? Peter loses his focus. He looks around, and he sees his circumstances, the wind and the rain. And what happens when he took his focus off of Jesus? He started to sink. Did you ever get that sinking feeling in your life? Like, oh man, this isn't going well. Because we lose our focus. See, we get caught up in looking at our circumstances. Instead of focusing on Jesus, we start to sink. If we want to live out big faith, no fear, we have to stay focused on the Lord. We have to stay focused on Christ. We cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by our circumstances. And so often we become so easily distracted. We become like the dog and up. Squirrel? Squirrel? And we stop focusing. But when we focus, we have amazing things. Well, four times, four times they tried to distract him. And he says, nope, I'm not doing that. But they weren't done yet. So listen to what happens next. Let's pick up here in verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to those reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Nehemiah says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So what was happening here was he didn't respond to the four invitations. So now they come to the fifth. And they have this open letter, which is accusing him of wanting to be king. All of which was lies. This was gossip. This was slander. And, I mean, that's serious. All of us have experienced that, where people start talking about us and stuff that's not true. Talk about us behind our back or or make stories up or whatever it may be. So what was Nehemiah going to do? Was he going to respond to these people? I would. Was he going to confront them and say, you're telling a bunch of lies? No, no, Nehemiah would pray. But would he pray, God, absolutely smite these people. Strike them down. No, he didn't do that. Would he pray, God, get me out of this situation? He didn't do that. What did he pray for? He was very specific. He said, Lord, strengthen my hands. He said, Lord, strengthen my hands because my focus is on you. See, the devil will try to discourage us, demoralize us, and discredit God. But Nehemiah said, Lord, strengthen my hands. I want to be about your kingdom work. I want to do what you've called me to do. And when we focus on God and not allow ourselves to be distracted or discouraged or demoralized by what other people say, by what other people do, we will be able to experience amazing things. But the devil will always try to distract and discourage us from doing the kingdom work of God. We teach our kids that if there's an emergency, dial 911. Most of us as adults understand that if you want information, you dial 411. Well, sometimes we think, how do I get information when I feel like I'm being tempted to be distracted or I'm trying to be discouraged? How can I get through whatever I'm getting through in life? One of my favorite verses, in fact, my life verse is Isaiah 4110, 411. I want to read this verse to you. It says this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, it's God's strength that will help us. We can stay focused and we say, God, I need your strength. God, I need your help. I need you, Lord, because I don't know if I can do it. And maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you're feeling distracted. (coughs) Keep your focus on God. When we keep our focus on God, amazing things will happen. Think of the story of Joseph. Joseph was the youngest of a big clan of brothers, and they didn't like him. They didn't like him at all. And if you think you had a bad older sibling, Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. I don't think anybody's siblings can top that one. So they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And so he languished year after year after year in a prison, wondering, I'm away from my father. I'm away from my brothers who sold me into slavery. So how could he keep his focus on God? Maybe he thought of how God was faithful to his great-grandfather Abraham. When God came to Abraham and said, you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, God, I'm almost 100. But he kept his focus on God, and he kept his focus on God. And then when he got out of prison and and things started to seem better, Potiphar's wife, who was the leader at the time, his wife accused him of something that he didn't do. But he kept his focus on God the entire time. As we read that story in Genesis, we see that eventually he became the prime minister of Egypt. And we see that he was able to forgive his brothers and be reunited with his family. He was able to experience 
forgiveness and give forgiveness because he stayed focused on God. How many of us carry around hurt? How many of us have been discouraged because we've been hurt? If we focus on God, we can find a way to forgive people who have hurt us. But it takes focus. Big faith, no fear, is about focus. See, our focus determines our fate. If our focus is on God, we'll find freedom. If our focus is not on God, it will be fatal. We must keep our focus on God. That's what we see Nehemiah doing. And see, what Joseph really is, is he points us to Christ. That when we focus on Jesus, not only will we be forgiven, but we'll be able to forgive others. But if we aren't focused on Christ, we're going to see our circumstances. We're going to see the hurt. We're going to see the pain. We're going to see the loss. We're going to see all the circumstances. And then the devil's like, I got them. I've distracted them. I've discouraged them. I've discredited God's word. And that's what the devil wants. If he can distract us and we don't focus on God, then we'll never forgive anybody. If the devil can discourage us, think of this. What are the things in our life that distract us from praying every day? What are the things in our life that distract us from reading God's word every day? What are the things in life that distract us from worshiping God every week? See, the devil, they may seem really good, but the devil's like, I just got to distract them that they don't engage God, then that's awesome. Or what can I do to discourage them? Oh, this isn't right or that isn't right. And if we can discourage people from praying, reading God's word, worshiping, the devil's like, I got them. But when we stay focused on God, amazing things will happen. See, the devil does three things. He tries to distract us. He tries to discourage us. And the last thing the devil will try to do is he will try and deceive us. Nobody likes to be deceived. None of us. We feel foolish when we're deceived. Let me give you an example of how all of us were deceived. Let's put up this picture. Right? Millie Vanilli. How many of us were deceived in thinking they were great? How many of us were the chapter president for Millie Vanilli? I mean, not me, but there were others, right? Like, it was amazing. They were, they were the group, and they were winning Grammys, and then it was, uh-oh, they didn't sing it. And how many people were mad because we were deceived? Think about, we hear the stories all the time of somebody posing as a doctor in a hospital. It's always in Florida, at least in my opinion, right? I don't know why. You know, some 16-year-old posing as a doctor, diagnosing people, and you get mad because we're deceived. Or how many of us get mad when a politician says this on Monday and then gets caught doing this on Tuesday? We hate to be deceived. The devil will always try and deceive us. He tried to deceive Nehemiah. But let's take a look at how Nehemiah handled this, starting at verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabal, who was shut in at his home. He said... Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So here's what's happening. This prophet comes to Nehemiah and says, hey, God has told me something, bro. 
and there's some men that are coming to kill you. We need to get you in the temple for safety. Well, that sounds really good. But let's take a look at what do we know about this prophet. Number one, it says, he was shut up in his room, which means he was not actively participating in the kingdom calling that God had given Nehemiah and the people, which was to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the gates. He wasn't out there every day. He wasn't stationed along the wall. But now all of a sudden, he's Mr. Advice on here's what God is telling us to do. Nehemiah is like, I don't think that sounds right to me. Because you haven't really been involved in this kingdom calling. And Nehemiah wanted to be obedient. And so he asks two really great questions. He said, should I run away and should I go into the temple? Now let's think about this. If he runs away, he's completely undermining himself and saying, look, God will provide. God will fight for you. He's undermining to trust God. He's undermining to have faith in God. He's undermining everything that says big faith, no fear. If he just runs away when it gets hard, when it gets uncomfortable, when he feels threatened, should he run away? But Nehemiah's like, this doesn't sound right, so I don't think I should be running away from God's kingdom calling no matter what somebody else says who hasn't been, even been involved in God's kingdom calling. The second thing that he says is, should I go into the temple? You'd say, well, why wouldn't he go into the temple? Because he understood the word of God. What does it say in Leviticus? It says this. From now on, Israelites must not go near the tent of the meeting, or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. The only people allowed in the temple were the priests. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He was a good man. He was doing good work. But he understood, I'm not supposed to go into the temple. He figured out very quickly that Shemaiah had teamed up with Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem to trap him, to try to get him. Just like they did when they asked him to meet out on the plain of Ono. They were trying to trap Nehemiah so they could kill him. Because what they were really trying to do was stop God's kingdom work. And that's what the devil does. The devil says, let's distract him, let's discourage him, let's discredit God's work, and now let's deceive them. But see, so often we fall into the deception of the evil one. And we believe the lies that the devil tells us. But when we stay focused on Christ, we stay focused on everything that God has called us to do and to live, we will experience amazing from walking on water to forgiving people. Think about this moment. There was a synagogue ruler, a Roman soldier named Jarius. This guy was powerful. This guy had all kinds of juice, right? He had people that reported to him. He was a big deal. But his daughter was ill. Gravely ill, deathly ill. And when your child is ill, everything melts away and it's what can I do to help my child get better? Every parent, every grandparent, you agree with that. So he goes to this rabbi that he hears is healing people. He goes to Jesus and he says, look, my daughter is dying. Will you come and try to heal her? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll do it. But in the middle, in the, in the interim, there's a big crowd around Jesus and all of a sudden now a, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years comes up and she, she touches Jesus' cloak. And all of a sudden now Jesus feels the power go out of him. And he stops. But all of this is happening. And if I'm Jairus, I'm like, hey, that's great, but my daughter's still ill. Can we move this along? He's focused on his circumstances. And I understand it. I would be too. He's like, let's go. That's great. I'm happy for her, but come on, come on. And then just when he thinks, okay, we're about to go, some soldiers come and they say, Jairus, I'm, I'm sorry. Your daughter's died. Your world ends. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
Don't be deceived by the evil one. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 5.36. It says, ignoring what they said, they being the soldiers, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus said, don't listen to the lies of the evil one. Believe in me. And Jairus did, and they went to the home. And Jesus raised her, and she was alive. Jesus was saying, keep your focus on me. Don't listen to the lies and the deception of the evil one that tells you this can't work out or this won't work out. Keep your focus on Jesus. See, if we can do that, we'll experience what the little girl did, a resurrected life. But we will have eternal life when we have the right focus. Focus is everything. Whether you're taking a test, whether you're driving, whether you're trying to fix something, focus is everything. We have the right focus. It's amazing what we can accomplish in life. But once we lose our focus, once we compromise our focus, once we are deceived, distracted, or discouraged, the devil's got us. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. When Nehemiah and the people of God were called to rebuild the walls and the gates. It was an overwhelming task. There were, there were too few of them. They didn't have the resources. There was no way this was going to get done. It's just they were too small and too weak and had too much going against them. And they were scared. But they said, we're going to focus on God. We're going to have big faith and no fear. And we're not going to look at our circumstances. That We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. And do you know that the entire wall got rebuilt in 52 days? 52 days. This should have taken them years. But because they had the right focus, they could do it. So I want to read to you what happens here in verse 15. So the wall was complete in the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And the people, so in verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of of our God. See, the nations thought they could intimidate the people of God, but it was really God who showed the nations his glory and having this wall rebuilt and the gates put in in 52 days because all the people were unified and focused on God. It's amazing what happens when a group of believers comes together and is focused on God's kingdom plan. When we're not distracted by the circumstances, when we're not discouraged and allow anything or anyone to discredit what the Word of God says, when we aren't deceived by the world telling us you can't. But when we are truly focused on God, we can feel like we're walking on water. We can forgive people who have hurt us deeply. And we can experience a resurrected life. It's an amazing thing. I'm going to ask Sarah and our, and our worship team to come back up. And I want to leave you with with three things to really think about this week. And I'd encourage you, talk about these over lunch today. Talk about them over dinner. Sit down with your kids and answer these. These are hard questions. What distracts you from focusing on God? Your job, your kids, your kids' activities, your hobbies, sports, TV. What is distracting you from focusing on God? Number two, what do you allow to discourage you from focusing on God? I'm too tired. My situation hasn't changed. I don't believe God has heard me. Don't be discouraged. Number three, what is deceiving you from focusing on God? Somebody said it's not going to work out. The odds are against you. 
You know, things aren't going your way. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. I'd encourage you, write down your answers to these questions. Write them down. Talk about them with your family. Pray about them. Say, God, reveal to me what is distracting me. And Lord, help me remove it. So all I see is you. Because Lord, I want to have that feeling like I'm walking on water. Because I'm so focused on you. Ask yourself, what is, what is discouraging you in your life? Say, Lord, help me identify that and get rid of that. Maybe that's certain people. Maybe that's certain context. Say, Lord, I don't want to be discouraged. I want to be encouraged. And then ask yourself, what lies has the devil told me that I've bought into? That tells me I can't or that God won't. Pray over these questions. Go deeper into all of those things. That's the only way that we'll live out big faith, no fear.